0: and welcome to another episode of the Daily Red podcast. I am your host Bianca Wiley, arts enthusiast, performer and media creative. You will hear stories about the projects gracing the Queensland art scene and the artists behind the scenes journeys sit back relax and let's get into it today i am joined by auslan interpreter mikey webb who has interpreted some very large shows recently including hamilton ed sheeran much much more and to make the arts much more accessible for people which is incredible thank you very much for joining me today mikey now i wanted to start with hamilton because it's on in brisbane right now and everyone's talking about it and I don't believe you're Auslaning for this one. Is that right? We've done it. We did
1: it. We did twenty uh, sixth of the Feb. We did a show.
0: Oh, fantastic! So, how long did you actually prepare to put it all together for the show?
1: Initially, well, Michelle and I worked together, so you sort of get together, you work out character split. So you look at who interacts with who more often and stuff like that. So you sort of work back. It basically was like I'm Hamilton. That was it. And so then sort of anybody else sort of really interacted with him, we work backwards from there. So we sit down, we watch it, we rehearsed for about a year.
0: Oh fantastic. And then COVID hit,
1: and then it got pushed back. And then it got pushed back. So we did Sydney so it was meant to be Sydney twenty twenty, twenty nineteen, I don't know, the years all blend together. But I get pushed back, pushed back, pushed back, and then yeah, so we finally got to do it. So maybe a year, year and a half of finally tuning um, such a, a nuanced performance because Hamilton is next level. Absolutely. Um, yeah, just the nuance that's in it, the history that's in it. You sort of have to unpack a little bit as well for the deaf community, um, because they wouldn't know American history as well as you know someone who gets over here some stuff, and so that incidental learning isn't there. So we we sort of chop, chop it in, pack it out, and where we go, and then we did Melbourne, and then we did Brisbane, and it was like oh. You know, sort of two and a half years of this music in my head can sort of just be on the mental piece bigger.
0: That's incredible. Now, you mentioned that Hamilton is quite next level. It's a very different musical from traditional musicals and it incorporates rap and opera and musical theatre music. How did you play all those different characters and actually embody that operatic style, that hip-hop style? What was going through your mind?
1: Yeah, when you first listen to it, especially Guns and Chips, you go... What did he say? (laughs) Like, it's just like, um, it would not Um But the more you listen to it, the more you get it. And uh, it's actually, the rap is almost easier than the opera because the rap, as much as it is rapid fire, because you're not signing it word for word, you're literally not. You're you're, you're creating the image and the pictures with what you sign. So if you actually listen to that rap, it's quite easy because it's just like I'm jumping on the horse. and I'm going to shoot these guys, you know, make them (laughs) red coats with red stains sort of stuff. So that's easier But the opera... Because they hang on that note so long, you've got to you've got to really make sure that you hang on to your sign and and make that fit. So it it the whole linguistic thing was was pretty full on for the both of us, um, and not only as individuals, but then as, as pairs, we have to make sure that we match each other. Because if I'm doing one thing and Michelle's doing another thing, it's quite jarring. Because it's just you need to you need to be in sync and use the same signs and and interact and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot that sort of goes on um, to do a big show like that. Yeah,
0: that's amazing. Now. Auslan was quite big in the news for a few weeks when Rihanna had her Super Bowl. Now, I believe that America calls it Aslan, and Auslan is Australian. ASL, American Sign Language, and ours is the acronym Auslan, Australian Sign Language.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. And people were talking about how she embodied, embodied Rihanna almost like she was singing. Now, do you find that when you're doing a show like Hamilton compared to a comedy festival where it's more like talking, that you have to do different things to actually make that come across to the audience?
1: Yeah, definitely. So you're right. What made her performance so good was you can look at it and you can you can tell the intent of the song. Um, and that's what that's what's so hard when it comes to representing music. You need to, to know the intent and, and sort of get that attitude across, if that makes sense. So if, if that, um, what is her name? I want to say Amy, but it's not Amy. But the, the, the girl in the States there, because she had that attitude, she had that just that flair about her. You could really feel that essence of that song. But if she was boring and was just signing the words, that's not the true representation of Rihanna's song. So that's why I loved it. I thought it was great. It was just, it had everything that was meant to be there. And so that's what you do when you do music. So um, having done sort of Ed Sheeran, some of those, those faster, rappier songs and stuff like that, and then I go literally the next night to the Backstreet Boys, which is more of a, <laughs> um, uh, like a cabaret style, like, you know, a dance sort of, Performance, so they are different. And then you go to comedy, and it all depends on the comedian you've got and how dry they are or how <laughs> exuberant they might be. You've got to really work hard to make it fit.
0: So, when you're doing shows like Ed Sheeran or Comedy Festivals or Hamilton, how long do you actually have to look at that material and think, right, this is what I need to do, not just to interpret the words, but also the story?
1: But that's And that's it. So, there's a lot of research that goes into it. I mean, lyrics is probably the smallest part of it all. It's like, hey. you can learn the song. You can learn lyrics, and you go, yeah, that's cool. But then you go, hang on, what's what's the meaning behind it? So I think the the one that we can all relate to is Michael Gidenski's song. We need serious things, visiting hours. He, he says it's for Michael. So you think, like, literally, if you listen to it, he goes, oh, he's lost, a, he's lost a loved one. You go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But then when you put that sort of spin on it, it's not necessarily like a mother or a father. It's, like a, it's, it's someone that has moulded him. Um, and so some of the lyrics there is, when you understand the meaning behind the songs, it actually affects the sign choice you use and then how you represent it. So there's a lot of lot of things happening. Um, in Afterglow, when he talks about waiting for a miracle to happen, like you can imagine a miracle could be anything, but in this particular context, it's waiting for the baby to be born, waiting for his daughter to be born. So then the sign you would use is waiting for, the, like, you know, epitomising the showing that his wife is pregnant and that's the miracle they're waiting for sort of stuff. So there's a lot that goes into enjoying the music
0: that's so cool you really are a storyteller in a completely different way when you were doing shows like Hamilton and Ed Sheeran did you have a particular song that you enjoyed signing the most just because you enjoyed you know putting together the story for it
1: Castle on the Hill is my personal favourite um, I'm from Adelaide um, and so like when he talks about coming home it's the picture I give of and I don't I, know when I can I sort of try and make it fit to a local context like yes it's Castle on the Hill but then like like talking about going those open lanes, I actually would sign this this sort of sign. It doesn't work for a podcast, does it? But it's coming down the hill because to get to Adelaide, you drive down the hill. So it's like just those little nuancy sort of things there. And for me, Castle on the Hill because there's a place you now that called Eagle on the Hill. So it's it's sort of similar and that symbolic symbolism stuff. So that was one of my personal favourites. Um, and I love Celestial. I just think it's a great song. But yeah, there's, there's you always got favourites, and you get some songs you just don't gel with. Mm. You just you just can't do it. Um, You just, you find find your way, you sort of fluff your way through all sort of thing. But you're sort of just, you're giving it to them, but you just, you don't necessarily feel it as, as much. But we're professionals, we do what we do.
0: Absolutely. Do you think that doing a show like Hamilton, which is quite different, almost changed the way you would approach signing because it's not traditional, you know, comedy or songs like Ed Sheeran?
1: You really need to, you need to be linguistically sound in what you're doing. Like, you really need to have a really big, You've got to, I'm not saying you have to be native, but it helps. Yeah. Because the less you think about it, the less your cognitive mind is thinking about the linguistic side of it all, the more you can focus on actually the performance side of it. It's not like performing as such, but the representation of different characters. Um, the, the more automatic that sort of brain process comes, the more you can actually then devote, like, put your attention to the other things um, that, when they're all put together, make for a really good performance.
0: Absolutely. Now we've talked a little bit about what goes on behind the scenes while you're preparing for the performance, but of course, there's an importance to why you sign and you make the arts a lot more accessible for people. What does it mean for you to be able to give that to the uh, community that's deaf that can't actually hear it but can still enjoy the performance through your signing?
1: That you've nailed it. To me, I mean, it's it's so it is taxing. I'm, I'm feeling very old at the moment. <laughs> I really yeah. Because I have been on the road for so long now, but I think that the common perception especially with music, the common perception of oh they're deaf, why would they care about music? That is so far removed. Like like, you think of performances like Pink and she she's an artist in her own right. You take the music away and you still want to go watch it because she's up there doing her thing. Um, so just to be able to give deaf people just that access to go, Oh, this is what that song's about, this is how it's what it is and the fact that they get to go along with their family members, they get to go along with their neighbours, whoever it might be, and experience something at the same time. Um, when I did Med Hot Chili Peppers, what blew my mind is the demographic was not what I thought it would be. Oh, we really? had parents bring their 15-year-old son because mum and dad went, we loved him growing up. Yeah. We know you like this kind of music. Come along. And to me, that was amazing. Mum and dad are hearing, son is deaf. But they went, Now nah, this was important to us. We're giving this to you. Um Another group, two deaf brothers and a hearing sister grew up listening to it, so they came along. Um, one mum brought her three hearing daughters along, and it was like their family reunion. So the demographic was insane, um, and it was Amazing. that's what makes it special—the fact that this rather than just these deaf people A, missing out or hearing about it secondhand, they get to be there, sharing it with their family, sharing it with their community, and then they get to go home and talk about it. And that, to me, creates more of a family bond, like that community bond which I think music gives us all. The music and the arts instill in us that sort of sense of being a part of something, whereas if you don't make it accessible for the deaf community, they miss out. And then just all the conversations that stem on from that and the learnings that can come from watching just one performance can just give, you know, life is enriched because of it.
0: For sure. Now, we're seeing a lot more Auslan coming up in Brisbane, which is fantastic. Hamilton, the comedy festival. My mum supports the Auslan program at the Powerhouse. So even yesterday, I went to a talk with Alexander McCall, who wrote all those incredible detective series books and much, much more. Do you think there's still a way to go, though, to make even more performances Auslan inclusive?
1: There is a long way to go. And like I said, I think it's just that perception of why would they not you know, what would they Yeah. if that makes sense um, I just it's frustrating and I've said, I've said well, I get to retire when it becomes the norm when, when it's not an afterthought it's not a oh these people want to come how do we do it what do we do it's that you know, everyone talks about co-design that's the new buzzword if we could make just that stuff that accessibility stuff just at the start where they go right we're bringing whatever this is we're putting whatever show is on Let's make space for the interpreters. Right, at the start, then we're done. And then I get to hang my boots up and go, oh, I get
0: to sleep. <laughs> that's fantastic. I've spoken a lot to people at the moment on this podcast about making the arts more accessible. In a few weeks' time, I have a podcast coming out about making the space in the Fortitude Valley more disability friendly as well. And that's really gearing up for the Olympics. Do you think by the time the Olympics come around, Brisbane will become a really accessible place for people, especially who are interested in the arts? to be able to see it just like everyone else oh,
1: I bloody well hope so <laughs> I really do that's 10 years away and you'd hope by then they would have got it you would hope um, I don't know I still we, we have a chuckle um, especially in that deaf space where if they see me on TV everyone goes oh oh something's gone down something's wrong COVID announcement <laughs> I'm the bad news guy I get it I get to be the bad news guy but then I, in, in, in my mind, I okay, go, they know there's a need out there. They know that the information isn't always accessible. Mm. And yet in an emergency, it's important they know. But if it's a good news story, meh, nah, it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, that's so true. I think you've hit the nail on the head. And it's not just for people in the deaf community. I think it's the way we are also consuming news. A lot less people are tuning into news because all we are seeing is deaths from an earthquake, deaths from a car crash, deaths from COVID so it's very hard to watch when news is so much more than that like you said there's also good news stories and people who want to share those stories because they have an important message so you're right we have a long way to go not just in the accessibility space but also in the media uh, industry as well. Now how many of you are there in Brisbane that are qualified Auslan interpreters?
1: That's right, you're asking me some hard questions now. I think 150-odd <laughs> uh, 100, of us. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, there's a few, but a lot of them have got part-time jobs as well, so they're not always full-time. Um, I think I'm just just a freelancer. so I just go and do my thing and go home. Um, okay. So yeah.
0: Well, I want to know, let's start from the very beginning with you. How did you become interested in Auslan? How did you learn it? How long did it actually take to be able to get to the level where you are now? My parents are deaf.
1: Yeah. So I am very much bilingual. Um,
0: Amazing. That
1: in my head, I think it's. I was actually talking this on the weekend. When I hear music, when I see stuff, I think in pictures. That's just the way that my mind works. So, so growing up having deaf parents, it was the more my signing sophisticated, the better my English got. Even now, as I as I talk, I can I know exactly what I want to say if I want to sign it. But there are times there where I grapple. I go, what what is the English word for that word that I want? If that makes sense. So. The way that I think, I think in pictures, I I know how to represent myself in signing. So growing up, like purely bilingual, um, was an amazing start. And then mum and dad being who they were in the the broader deaf community, I had access to such an amazing language. Um, So we talk about that incidental learning. As a young kid, I could sit there and watch a conversation between two deaf adults and take knowledge in, as well as hearing people on the bus talking about what they wanted to talk about sort of stuff. all of that happened and I think that's really helped mould to be where I am today because I had such amazing language models, not only for signing but for English as well. So I think that's why I'm, I'm one of the lucky few, I know I am, um, where I'd be blessed with such such a strong language base in both languages.
0: Do you think just by seeing them interpret, it made your whole process of learning what all the signs meant much quicker?
1: It it wasn't even about learning. It was just, that's the way I spoke. That's just the way you you signed to mum and dad. That was just the way the world was. I remember the first day of kindy and this this woman, this teacher, trying to talk to dad and not being able to sign. And in my head, I went, this isn't right because all of mum's family signed. So every every sort of outing we ever had with a big group of people, everyone just signed. Right. So I went to school and dad still remembers whacking me because I said to her, are you stupid? Like, in my head. I'm like, how do you not know how to sign to this guy? How, what is going on here? It, it, it wasn't until it was about year four, four and a half, where I went, oh, okay, this whole world out here doesn't actually sign.
0: Did you think that as a young kid you saw more people really needed to learn that ability?
1: I wish they did. I wish they, but they're the one put me on a job, so you know what? Yeah. Pros and cons. Um, it's funny as well, like, it's, it was great growing up, and because Adelaide was such a small town, we knew that. We knew the deaf community. We knew everybody. So when you're out shopping, and because it's such a visual language, you, you, people can see you from a mile away. So we could often go, oh, stop talking, someone says over there. Or, yeah, we could talk about people in public. It was an amazing thing. Um, and, you know, sometimes wasn't always rude, but polite. <laughs> but now with the broader community learning to sign, and we don't know who's out there. We have to, have to be more careful. Mm. We can't have those private public conversations anymore. But it's an amazing thing that the community is learning to sign because I do firmly believe if you can give deaf people access... Let them communicate in their native language the way they can. You'd be amazed at what they could achieve. Is the
0: Auslan language quite universal? Because Auslan obviously is Australian Sign Language, but if an Australian Sign Language user tried to interpret with an American Sign Language user, is it Completely different signs. Really? Grammatically it's the same.
1: So grammatically you can get by, you can sort of work out nuance, and you pick up signs here and there, but the signs are completely different. Um, The Americans use a one-handed alphabet. They don't even use their second hand. They, they call us the spidery-figured fig, people, and we call them the, you know, look at us, spas, spastic people up there with their hands and stuff. So they're completely different. The signs are different. Even from us to New Zealand, the signs are different. Really? Yeah. So we're based very much on England. Obviously, colonialise, I can never say that word. Yes. Colonisation. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got the British roots. So we get on pretty well. But um, a lot of the other countries are so different. The Scandinavias are different altogether. Like, wow. You just sit there and go no but nothing but dramatically <laughs> dramatically it doesn't make sense of it
0: so if your parents you know wanted to travel how do they interact with people that are sign language users from that
1: country they, they manage you'd be surprised it's amazing dad um dad played international cricket for the deaf team so like, oh, like incredible we can, we can go anywhere almost in the world and just know somebody in that country simply because of sports um and it's been an amazing thing it's a whole world that opens up so you can always go to the local deaf society. You can just go to wherever you are, in whatever country, you find the deaf society and you'll get a tour guide. You'll get someone to say, come over for dinner, did like, And you find a way, you find a way to communicate. As much as we do as English, we sort of find a way in mind stuff. They'll mine that, they'll work it out and then, next minute, minute. Got fancy for life.
0: Incredible adaptation. Now I really hope this does not come off as insensitive. (laughs) But when you were at school, you know, speaking to your classmates every day and then coming home to sign, did you ever struggle and think, oh, I just wish I could actually speak? Or was it just kind of second nature to be able to sign? It
1: was second nature. It was I wouldn't change a thing about my life, like ever. It was it was just it was normal. That's just what life was. Like different like I said, it wasn't until I got older when I realised there was a whole world out there that just didn't fit. Mm.
0: Um, and there was a lot of injustices and stuff, but dad's pretty assertive. Mum was pretty assertive. Like They could get their message across. But,
1: yeah, it was just, there was this whole English thing at school. And I went home and just, it's signed. It's just, just the way that life was and wouldn't change a thing.
0: Amazing. Now, I want to ask you, your man bun makes you quite <coughs> recognisable. Where did the style come from?
1: It's, I've always had long hair, funnily enough. Um, we'll actually look back on photos. Uh, I've I just turned four. I'm getting a bit old. Um, have a photos. I've always had iterations of like just long hair, and then the man bun was um, just something I sort of picked up uh, a few years ago and just ran with it, and then it sort of became a bit iconic. And yeah. It's due for, a, I don't know, if see, every iteration when I cut my hair off, I've donated it to charity. Oh, really? So it's always been like, you know, Cancer Council, um, Starlight Foundation with the kids one, whatever the one in Sydney is. So I've always... Chopped it off and sent it off. So there's kids out there somewhere, hopefully, with my hair as a wig.
0: Oh, it's incredible. So now it's like,
1: oh, do I want to get rid of the, the iconic man bar or is it, is it really... My partner's very much going, no, you're not allowed to. Um, and she's the boss, so... You're
0: like, it's for a good cause. <laughs>
1: well, that's right, <really> it's hard.
0: <laughs> now, apart from signing, what are some of your other interests?
1: Oh, look, I'm a netballer. I Used to play netball for a long, long time. Um, cross-stitch, jigsaw puzzles... Love Tell me a
0: bit more about cross stitch. Well, there was an article that came out, but I actually don't know anything about cross stitching. What is it? How did you get interested in it? What do you do with it?
1: Uh, mum's one of seven sisters, so there were seven girls in the family. My parents did it too. It was just something I watched as a kid. They just would do it um, in their downtime.
0: So, is it kind of like crocheting?
1: It's like crocheting. So, you get the fabric, you get like a gridded piece of material, and you just Put it through the holes. You follow a pattern. You just put it through the holes. That's cool. So I, I I like to make stuff that's sentimental. Like so, my niece and nephew, my best friend's kids, they've all got like a I don't know if you call it a runner, or whatever it is, and it's got a cross stitch of their name, the time they were born, where they were born, like the date, and all that, like all those sort of details and stuff. So there's something you can hang on the wall and sort of cherish until oh, that's lovely. you get old. Yeah.
0: Ah. Oh. You should start selling them. I'm sure people would love one of those. I'm doing a Pokemon
1: one at the moment. Um, And it's going to take me a few years because I'm just so busy working and stuff. But yeah, I've had people already go, would you? And I'm like, no, it's mine.
0: It's all mine. It's It's my hard work. I need to show for it. So apart from cross-stitching and everything else, what do you have coming up? Are there anything in the program for your year that you're most excited for? (sighs)
1: Everything's exciting. Everything's exciting. We've got Ability Fest coming up in a few weeks. So Dylan Alcock.
0: Oh, fantastic. Music
1: Festival. So that's on the 25th of March.
0: So tell me a bit more about that. Where is it? What was it? So the very first
1: iteration was at Coburg, the Coburg Velodrome. Um, it was amazing. It was so good. Like the first year we had maybe like 15 deafies come along. Um, but it was accessible. We were on stage, we had a camera on us, we are projected onto a big screen. And any deaf person can sort of sit anywhere. And and watch it, which is obviously the whole concept of ability first. Um, there was like a, a section for people using wheelchairs. Having said that, they could come onto the grass. Like there was one guy crowd surfing this wheelchair. <laughs> it was like just fun, but just a great day. And then the year after, we had about forty deaf coming on. Cool, so yeah. again, that word of mouth thing of yeah, you know, the deaf community going music, meh, and they go, no, 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 and it's cool. Trust me. Um, so Dylan's been amazing for that. I missed last year's or the year before's whatever it was because we had border lockdowns and. I was allowed to leave. You
0: became a COVID announcement person. Yeah, that's he was right. You were still at least in a job. But I remember
1: saying to, to Jeanette, Dr. Young, yes. on stage, I said, oh, I've got to go got to get in Melbourne. And hang at you. she goes, no you, no, you can't go, you're too important. I I'm was like, No! <laughs> <laughs> she went, No, you're staying here with me. Governor's like, oh, always. Yeah, that's right. I I can't argue with <laughs> you, can I? Um, but it was lovely. But yeah, so less in a few weeks. So Hilltop Woods are playing, Shoes are playing, um, Alex Laney, a few lots more. It's just, it's such a it's so good
0: and if people want to come and watch you sign in Brisbane especially as part of the community where can they find you which shows are you in
1: what Brisbane have I got coming out so comedy festival stuff ah, my favourite got some comedy festival stuff I'm doing Peter Helia. I'm doing Rove who else am I doing Mel Battle, which I'm looking forward to oh Mel Buttle yes. good fun really looking forward to Mel um, I think I'm doing the opening from memory. I don't know. That's like end of April. That's so like... The opening
0: at Fortune Valley Music Hall? Possibly. I went to that one last year. I'm pretty sure I saw you. It was fantastic. Was it last year? So I think I, I did. I think you did. I remember seeing you. a year ago. Or it might have been from the TV, honestly. Possibly, My yeah, narcotic face.
1: Somehow. It's, <laughs> it's man-mine. the man bun. <laughs> the man <man-mine>. bun. It's <laughs> the man bun. It's all about the hair. That's why you
0: can't get rid of it. That's, <laughs> what, I'm, that's what I'm saying iconic feature. It is. Well, is there anything else you want to share before we wrap this no, up today, Mikey? You feel
1: like you've asked all your questions and all that? I think
0: <laughs> you've been incredible. It's been amazing getting to know you and you know, you never really know the story behind someone that you see signing. So yeah. I would never would have thought that you had deaf parents. So that's amazing and look how much that skill has brought you in life as well. It
1: has enriched my life. Like it was never something growing up I went oh yeah I'm going to do this sort of thing and so there's a big conference here in 99 and they had interpreters from around the world and I went that's it that's what I'm going to do with life and 24 years later here I am
0: and you're making a difference I only it. can retire once there's hundreds of interpreters everywhere yeah,
1: we're training the new ones up I'm getting old I'm not going to be a big jagger I need to <laughs> call it <the> quits <laughs> at some stage
0: fantastic well thank you very much Mikey it's been a pleasure no thank you so much for having me for listening to this episode of the daily red podcast you can follow us on spotify apple podcasts instagram linkedin and tiktok for more and we'll be with you again soon bye